Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I am Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. I am so glad you're joining us today. We have part two of a two-part series with Judy Mason, who is the Executive Director of Inflammatory Breast Cancer Research Foundation. She is the guru with all things inflammatory breast cancer. If you've been diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer, this is the woman you need to know. She breaks down all of the science and tells her own personal story about living with IBC for 23 plus years. So it's an honor and pleasure to have her here. In this episode, we discuss the scoring scale, which is how oncologists help determine a diagnosis and plan treatment. We go into the nitty gritty and she provides us with a lot of insights and tools to empower us when we have those conversations with our doctors. If you are just tuning in, I want to welcome you to survivingbreastcancer.org and encourage you to hop on over to survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, where you can find all of our free programs and services with a special shout out to our inflammatory breast cancer support group, which meets on the second Thursday of every month. It's all for you there at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. So we, we know a lot more than we used to know, but we still don't know enough. Welcome. To the conversation. Jeannie, it is so great to have you back on Breast Cancer Conversations. For those of you just tuning in, please be sure to listen to part one of Jeannie's amazing content. I will link to that in the show notes below. And today we're picking up the conversation where you can actually share with us the amazing research and outreach that you're doing with regards to the scoring card. You know, we know inflammatory breast cancer affects a very small population, and a lot of times it is diagnosed, actually it's always diagnosed at a late stage, whether it's stage three, A, B, or C, sometimes metastatic as well. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of inflammatory breast cancer. Two years ago on the scoring scale, when we were just working on this, um, we brought together a multidisciplinary group of uh, folks after having worked with, we brought Komen in in an effort to widen um, the understanding and knowledge of the whole breast cancer community to inflammatory breast cancer. They have a reach way beyond anything our little organization could do. And so we began doing some matching gift campaigns with them to be able to work at funding research for inflammatory breast cancer in a big way, much beyond what we could do individually. And after we did raise some funds, we brought together a group of people to researchers, advocates, and clinicians to set a research agenda, realizing that's not something we should do alone. We should get a lot of input into this. So we brought a group of people together um, our organization, Komen and Milburn Foundation, which is a private foundation that has an interest in IBC. We came together in Chicago four, I think it was four years ago, maybe five now, but about four years ago for an afternoon meeting. And I was to open that meeting 
with where what happens after someone's diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer? What, what would a patient face next? I rode on a Greyhound bus from my home in Lafayette, Indiana to Chicago on a very snowy April day, writing my notes for that. And the more I wrote, the more I thought, you know, we need to back up. I'm still talking to patients who don't get an adequate diagnosis quickly. It took me over four months to get anyone to take my symptoms seriously. I was 40 years old. And that's still happening. And I thought, we were we're 20 some years later. That's just craziness with the abilities we have now. That should not be the case. And so when we got to the, I got to the meeting and I went in and told Dr. Kathy Miller was our moderator for the meeting. I said, I'm sorry, Kathy, I changed my mind. I'm not going to talk about what you asked me to talk about. She kind of gave me a look of, so what else is new? <laughs> and she said, okay, do what you need to do. And so I shared with the group exactly just basically what I've just said to you. And it gave them some examples. And everyone said, wow, you're right. That's what we need to focus on. And there was this immediate cohesiveness of this group to tackle that. And it was just very affirming um, to hear everyone uh, kind of regroup and, okay, now this is what we need to work on. And we began working on how could we improve scoring, diagnosing IBC, giving a tool to clinicians out there, whether you be a family practice doctor or OBGYN, or you know, if you're a breast surgeon or a general surgeon. And we began putting together this scoring scale And it's um, a mixture of the visible symptoms, like the redness, the swelling. How quickly did these symptoms develop? Um, Asking some, you know, you need the basics about someone's age and um, menstrual status and, you know, are they pregnant? And um, we also have room in there for imaging data because an MRI now, or ultrasound are both considered much more useful than a mammogram for inflammatory breast cancer. But if they've had a mammogram, is there skin thickening present in that? And so you work down this scale of these questions and you get a number for each thing based on where you fall in this um, scoring. And when you get to the end, you have a total and that total determines whether the person should be uh, immediately referred to a surgeon. Could this be infection and maybe just um, a round of antibiotic? Or are there so few symptoms present that it would just be watch and wait for a little while to see if things change? Um, but it really gives that concrete guidance because. Believe me, you can put five doctors in a room with a patient with pretty obvious IBC symptoms. Three may say it is and two won't or vice versa. 
since it's very, very subjective. So our hope is this is going to move us that next step. Um, We published in January in Breast Cancer Research and Treatment. It is an open source publication. You can, anybody can access the article. And I encourage patients now, anyone who's got questionable symptoms, print off the article and take it to their doctor. Outstanding work and congratulations again on your publication. I will also link to that in the show notes below and on our blog so all of our readers and listeners can have access to that. You're also doing phenomenal work in terms of a validation study. Can you tell me a little bit more about you know this process and your involvement in research? Yes, it was it's been really well received. Um, as in any new thing that's being presented at a medical meeting, there are the naysayers and there, sadly, there are people who weren't invited to be involved who are going, well, this isn't, this isn't really going to be useful. But that happens across all fields, not just medicine, it's everywhere. But um, we really feel like this is a big step in the right direction because through this validation study, first of all, to get two huge cancer organizations to work together on a grant is no small thing. Um, it takes a lot of work to get them to agree because of all the intellectual property and so forth involved. But they're developing a database. Um, all the patients we're using this on now that are coming in as part of this validation study, all that data is being collected, tissues being collected everything so that we can begin on the next step, which will be looking for molecular markers so that we can work toward a pathological diagnosis as well with the ultimate goal. um, Once we can validate this is getting an ICD code for inflammatory breast cancer. And we have to work through the world health organization to get those. And so that's, we're already in conversation with them to see if we can begin developing whatever's necessary for them. So we make sure we have the right validation and documentation. And I feel, I'm told someone, I presented on this at the Metastatic Breast Cancer Alliance, which we're a part of um, Wednesday night. And I said, so that's my big goal. I said, if we manage to get that accomplished, I, I hope it happens before I retire or I die, whichever comes first. <laughs> because I, I will feel like that will be a milestone to get accomplished in, in my, my work as an advocate. When we talk about inflammatory breast cancer, we often talk about it as a clinical diagnosis versus a pathological diagnosis. Can you explain the difference between the two? When anyone has a biopsy, the, that biopsy is studied for its pathology. And it's what's found under that microscope that determines whether you're given a diagnosis of cancer or not. And they'll look at things like the biomarkers, but they're looking for cancer cells. And that's why even with, if you have all the symptoms of inflammatory breast cancer, a biopsy is necessary to determine, yes, indeed, they find cancer cells. But 
from what we know now, you can't definitively say those cancer cells are only IBC. They could be, they're usually either ductal or lobular carcinoma. Most likely ductal, but we are aware that there are a number of patients we've dealt with over the years who have um, lobular carcinoma as well as um, IBC. So while it's not as common, it does happen. And so consequently, uh, that's another reason you might not find the words inflammatory breast cancer in your record because it is a clinical diagnosis. I'm fortunate my doctors put it in, you know, back in the dark ages when mine's all paper records and it's in there over and over. But if you're looking at making sure you can access um, disability quickly, you want that to be in your record because it, it is an immediate uh, quick line into disability to have inflammatory breast cancer. We're in the accelerated approval uh, for, for disability. In your experience living over a couple of decades with inflammatory breast cancer, which is a feat in and of itself, what are you most excited about? How has treatment and processes changed? So we, we know a lot more than we used to know, but we still don't know enough. First article ever written that we've been able to find about inflammatory breast cancer, it's from 1812. Sir Charles Bell identified what he called carcinoma of pregnancy in very young. These were teenagers who were pregnant. I think the first one was like 12 or 13 which pregnancy then was pretty common. Um, the next big article was Lee and Tannenbaum in 1921 or four. Can't remember which right now, when they talked about inflammatory carcinoma. And if you read that article, we don't know a whole lot more than they knew then, which to me is deplorable given where science is at this point in time. But it's a fascinating read. Uh, you know, we can't uh, move forward unless we know our history, I think. And it's important to know those bits, um, to know where we ought to be moving in our research and, and just to understand the field better. My earlier, uh, one of my earlier doctors, uh, Dr. George Sledge, who's a, a past president of ASCO, and one of the, I, considered to be one of the world experts in breast cancer, always said, you know, breast cancer is a smart cancer. He said, frankly, if I ever have to have cancer, I want a dumb cancer. He said, I want one that doesn't have lots of mutations. And he said, it's why you're able to control some of the hematological cancers because they have less mutations in them. And he said, you know, breast cancer tends to be whack-a-mole. He said, we knock down one pathway and the cancer's smart. It figures out a way to get around that. He said, our bodies are always working to get around and do what it wants to do. He said, you know, homeostasis. And he said, cancer kind of does the same thing. He says, you block one route. It says, okay, well, we'll make another one. You know, we're smart enough to do this. And, you know, or it'll decide that it's, you know, going to become resistant to a, a treatment. And so once a cancer, has, especially once a cancer has metastasized, 
it really is whack-a-mole trying to figure out how you're going to continue to keep you know blocking pathways without blocking something incredibly important um you know now that people are having uh, genomic sequencing and they look for what kinds of targets could be used uh, which I've worked with the precision medicine program at Indiana University a good bit. And it's exciting when someone does the sequencing and they come back and they say, okay, we found two things that are actionable mutations. And people get all excited. Okay, here's the things. This is going to be my cure. And it might be and it might not. Um, Sometimes you can't tolerate the medication that's been developed for that uh, particular pathway, or your body says, "Nope, we got this one. We've we've already blocked that. We're working this way now, you know, so it doesn't work." And I think that's that's why breast cancer continues to be all breast cancer, not just inflammatory. We we're just we always step it up a notch on everything. But it continues to be such a difficult disease to manage long term because it it has the potential to do so many different things. As I kept thinking, you know, when we got to about, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old as an organization, there was this thought, oh, well, yeah, we're going to get this figured out. Our original tagline was committed to finding the cause. Ha ha. <laughs> you know, if we could figure out what caused breast cancer, and, and we know it's multiple, multiple interactions, you know, basically your DNA says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to fix that anymore. <laughs> I tried to get more, more excited um, than depressed because I've seen amazing things. Um, there were no metastatic breast cancer groups when I was diagnosed. Now to see all these metastatic groups developing and they're doing great work and knowing people are living with cancer much longer timeframes, not long enough to make any of us happy, but it's an improvement, significant improvement. And I'm excited about seeing that and you know, having been around the long long time to get to see those things change and hope for my my family and everyone's families. I have a daughter who was diagnosed at 27 with early stage breast cancer, but very aggressive. And she has seven girls. And I now have three great granddaughters. And I don't want breast cancer to ever be something they have to be worried about or anyone's daughter or granddaughter or sister or anyone. That's why I do what I do. I have to give back because I've been given 23 years. I never dreamed I'd get to have. Jeannie, such a powerful story. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I am so glad we are friends, meeting on social media, finally meeting in person at the various conferences. It is such a true joy and pleasure to be partnering with you and raising awareness around inflammatory breast cancer. I hope we can continue the conversation soon. Thank you all for listening and joining in. I want to remind you to hop on over to survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, where you can find our monthly support group for those diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer. It is held on the third Thursday. Nope, strike that. 
It is held on the second Thursday of every month, and it's a great opportunity for people to meet from across the country and across the globe to discuss all things IBC. Again, that's survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. Please be mindful that all of our content and information is for educational purposes only and is never a substitute for medical advice. Until next time, keep on thriving.